Is this thing on? It is on, and welcome to our latest episode of the Nexus of Pop Culture and Cherry Road. Tonight, what are we screaming about, Scott? Oh, I like the way you worked that in. You, you, worked, in, you worked in the screaming. I That's like right. It. Well, well, Stephen, uh, tonight we are uh, very excited um, to be talking about the pivotal movie scene uh, from the classic film, The Princess Bride, that is the battle of wits. It's known as the battle of wits between Bassini, the, the, the Sicilian, and the man in black. Um, so I can't wait to really dive into this scene. I think this is going to be a just a riveting time for all of our listeners. You know, we, we here at Bear Studios, we, we don't do things halfway. Uh, we, we do them at least three quarters of the way. I would agree. And, and at least at least 70 percent above three quarters of the way. <laughs> so 70 percent above three quarters. I mean, that puts us, you know, we're just on that cutting edge of 88, 89 percent effort. Right. And, and I, there's only a 50-50 chance of that. So <laughs> so as we go ahead and digress from our main topic of the night uh, and move into uh, naked gun quotes, uh, I feel... airplane. Well, before we go any further, uh, there are some people that we probably need to thank. First of all, we need to thank the people of Bluetooth. And their technology. Yes, and, I agree. Thank you, Bluetooth. And creating the uh, the the model of headset, which, by the way, what model headset are you using this evening? I'm using the uh, Air AirPods Pro. The AirPods Pro. That's excellent. I am using the talking to your speakerphone uh, version of Bluetooth, uh, and it's really. Uh, demonstrating its quality in every episode of Nexus of uh, Pop Culture and Cherry Road. I, I feel like that's the Motel 6 option of uh, audio options available to you. I it's think, not, it's I not think, the highest level, but you know what? You know, it's, it's gonna, you're going to have a good night's stay. It's not going to break the bank. Well, you know, I would also think that it might be a KOA campground. <laughs> a jelly stone? And, you know, that, that really is, you, know, you, you can't beat a good KOA campground. We also probably need to thank the good people at Milford's uh, for their constant continued support of this podcast. And, you know, I, would we say that they at this point are a diamond or platinum level sponsor? Is that? The oh, they're, 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 they're platinum. And the only, the only thing that, possibly could be higher than platinum will be the uh, green bean casserole level of sponsor. And I think that they're, they're working their way towards that. I think so. Uh, they, uh, they really, I think are just very excited about the potential for the LWO. And it is, it, things are really moving in a positive direction for this. Uh, I'm, I, I'm excited 
to see that there's talk of a cease and desist order from the uh, Texas Roadhouse folks. I think that there is a great fear that uh, your second tier family restaurants are all basically living in a constant state of fear uh, related to when, what the LWO is going to do. I mean, yeah, what, I the, what the, uh, the clock driving in Seneca are shaking their boots right now. I would say so. And all the fine folks at Applebee's. Cause that is a neighborhood bar and grill. If there was ever a true neighborhood bar and grill, it's definitely Applebee's. I think, though, you know, on a more serious note, we need to reach out to our, our good friends at the Hall of Justice. And uh, we said some things that may have been offensive um, about some costumes. Uh, and I know some feelings were hurt with Samurai and Black Vulcan and even Robin about the lack of pants they wear in their, their, their costumes. And we'd like well, to apologize wholeheartedly for offending anyone at the Hall of Justice. I also think that you probably need to uh, ratchet up your apology to the good folks at Dorman High School. What have I done to the Cavaliers? Well, I, I think that last time you compared, uh, you you degraded their facilities in comparison to the Georgia Dome as far as the the, the waning days of WCW and the lack of capacity crowds. <laughs> I certainly didn't mean to offend any of the folk at Dorman. And, uh, you know, one of my best friends, Andy Conley, is in the Dorman Football Hall of Fame. So I don't want to definitely want to tread lightly on that. Well, and, and I think that, that you've, made, you've made significant amends and inroads there. I'm hopeful that uh, by your apology, we can make some inroads with some sponsorships in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And also, like to shout out to a couple of our listeners out there, Harper and Julia. Thank you for your support of our podcast, and thank you for being one of the thirty to forty listeners we have each episode. I'd also get like to give a shout out to one of your work colleagues, uh, former uh, Winthrop Eagle or uh, Winthrop Eagle alumna. Uh, that would be Lauren. That's right. Um, and uh, just you know, Lauren, thank, thanks for your devotion to the nexus of pop culture and Cherry Road. We know that. Uh, our fans have come to expect a high-quality podcast, and uh, that's what we're going to deliver every time. So right, three, three quarters of the way there, at least fifty percent of the time. So here we are tonight with a uh, just a really. Sometimes I look at the world and I think, how is it that the world has gone so long? without a particular thing, you know, what, you know, how is it that we survived as many years as we did without the good folks of the internet? Uh, how is it that we survived as long as we did without, you know, a self-service Slurpee machine? Why did it take all the way to 1980 for someone to develop the chip, witch, which was that frozen treat of the two cookies with the vanilla ice cream in the middle? Indeed. Indeed. And by the way, right there, there's a sponsor opportunity for us, but the good folks at Indeed, if you're looking for a job, if we say Indeed a certain number of times, they're going to have to legally sponsor us. Indeed. 
Indeed, indeed. So if you're looking for a job, indeed. Well, you know, then there is then there is the the the, the but there are the things that that haven't been addressed up to this point. You know, I consider why is it that pork is known as the other white meat? Why couldn't that be chicken? Why why did why didn't pork come first? I mean, how often do you have scrambled eggs and chicken wings? Three or four times a week. Well, that would be in your family. But for most for most red blooded Americans who hate Russians, it's bacon and eggs. I hate the Dutch. Oh, we're just we're flying all around the movies tonight. Aren't we? Are, we, we really are. Um, I, I just I've never had like hot wings and eggs, but that sounds really good to me. Well, you know, I haven't either, but perhaps, perhaps the good folks at Wingstop will will incorporate that into their menu now. <laughs> or both. The best part of this podcast, really, and it's, it's the benefit of our fans. We're, we're over nine minutes and we've discussed absolutely nothing to this point. And there's been no pause whatsoever. It makes you feel good about who we are um, as part of the, uh, the soul of the nexus of pop culture at Jerry Road. And is it, have we reached the point where we are sort of the, uh, Seinfeld of podcasts that it's a show about nothing. I'd say we're turning that direction. Okay. Well, I'd say prognosis positive. Well, so here's what I want to say is, as we approach, as we rapidly approach the 10 minute mark that much like pork being the original white meat uh, and not getting the credit that it's due. I don't feel like anybody has, completed the critical analysis followed by a synthesis of all of the depth of the battle of wits in a princess bride. I, you know, I I know of no one else who has the guts uh, to undertake such a, uh, a vast plunge into and risky plunge into the significant amount of knowledge and hidden treasure that it's, is it's, this conversation. It's a dissection. It's an analysis. It's it's a lobotomy. It's an autopsy. It is all in one. All in one. I, I know. I know. I know a group that could that could do this. So I'm going to bring them up later, but I'm not going to reveal what that group would be. I have a feeling I know who that group is. <laughs> So I want to let's 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 kind of set the scene here. How about how about this? Can you set the scene here for us? Yeah, I, I'm not. I would say I would ask you to take the lead on this. I can only set the scene from this point of view. We have the we have the Sicilian and we have the man in black, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the Sicilian has the princess with him. Yes, um, and they've come to a point mm-hmm. where they need to resolve their differences. Indeed. Um, there we go, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so go ahead. Take it from there. I, your background on this might be better than mine. 
Well, so so let's let's uh, just a, a very very brief, and I, I I promise I will make this one brief. Just a very brief recap of uh, the movie up to this point. So, The Princess Bride is basically a storybook story being read to a young Fred Savage uh, by his uh, grandfather, and because it's Peter Falk, Columbo, right? Yeah, yes, it is Peter Falk, Columbo. I could not think of his real name. I was just going to say Columbo. So, so is, his, is his Peter Fox character actually supposed to be Columbo? No. That's another topic in this. Ah, I don't think so. Um, there is some, I, I certainly feel like Peter Falk as an actor uh, has a hard time escaping that identity. Uh, you know, that was, that, that was who he was and, and who most people associate him with. You know, it's kind of like, uh, all the people from Friends. Can uh, we say, pardon uh, me, uh, grandson. How did the how did the princess get to the Sicilian only five minutes? I don't understand. Can someone explain it to me, please? Where did you get this poison? My wife loves poison. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It was a great. It was a great imitation. So okay, so he's reading this story, and it's the story of the Princess Bride, and the Princess Bride set up. It, it's a story about true love, which evidently uh, is a, just an amazing thing uh, from the perspective of everybody involved in uh, the, the the film. So evidently, this is a concept that is foreign to so many people uh, that it sets off this entire uh, orchestra of events that, that occur throughout the, the course of the movie. And, and so many people are willing to lend a hand in the defense of true love, which I guess is, uh, would you say, is, is supposed to give us more faith in, in humanity or something to that effect? Or do you figure it was just for good entertainment value on the part of... Uh, uh, I think it's, I'm going to go with good entertainment value. Okay, fair enough. We won't... We won't try to delve into that too much. So anyway, so we start this story. Castle. Story of true love uh, begins with a farm boy and a farm girl uh, who uh, fall in love, and then they want to get married, but he has to go and make his fortune, and he gets uh, kidnapped by pirates uh, and is gone for much longer than anyone ever anticipated. She ends up falling under the notice of, which I love his name, Prince Humperdinck, and ends up getting to the point where she is betrothed to the prince, who, of course, is not a nice guy. Uh, the, then this mysterious, uh, then uh, she gets kidnapped by uh, the Sicilian, wh whose name is uh, Vizzini, and uh, of course, Aniga Montoya, uh, played by played brilliantly by Mandy Patinkin, and Fezzik, who is played even more brilliantly by Andre the Giant. No more rhyming. I mean it. Princess gets kidnapped by these three, but suddenly they find themselves being pursued by a man in black, who will later be revealed as the farm boy, whose name is Wesley. The princess's name, by the way, also fantastic name, Buttercup. That's right. So over the course of the next, I don't know, 
30 to 45 minutes of the movie. Maybe it's not that long. Maybe it just feels that long. The man in black defeats first uh, Anigo Montoya in a swords uh, a, a swordsmanship duel, a fencing match, as it were. Then he defeats uh, Andre the Giant in a uh, test of strength. And so those two are dismissed, and now Buttercup is being held by the uh, the Sicilian, the Zini. And the man in black comes running out of the woods, and Bazzini and Buttercup are sitting there at like a, a picnic table uh, or a, a, in, a, in a picnic type setting. And he's got mm-hmm. a knife to her throat. She has a blindfold on. And that's where our scene begins. And so when they open, when, they, when, when, the, when the scene opens, when the man in black comes, comes out of the woods, he sees Bazzini there and they look at each other and Mazzini says to him, so it is down to you and it is down to me. And then this battle of wits ensues. So we have a, is, is, it, is that good? Are we set? Are we set here? To begin? Set. Well, surprisingly, this, this only lasts like four and a half minutes in the movie. Yeah. It feels like it's so much longer. Yes. Um, because, and, and I think that the, the, um, What's the word I want to look for here? The rapport is so excellent because Vizzini talks so much and the man in black talks so little. And that makes it seem as though, and this is, so this becomes the question. Is there ever any doubt? So, so you're, you're watching this film. Is there ever any doubt who's going to win the battle of wits? I don't think so. It's, it's almost like watching. Uh, I'm not trying to get into my super friends, but it's it's, it's almost like it's Batman talking to like the Riddler. Uh-huh. Just the look of that black mask, and how Batman would would actually say very little there, and the bad guy does all the talking. Uh huh. Now, would you say that this is the uh, when you say Batman? Would you are you talking about modern Dark Batman or Super Friends Batman? Dark Knight, not Super Friends Batman. Okay. Because Super, Super Friends Batman would, would overtalk this. Yes. Okay. He wouldn't know when to stop talking. He would end up poisoning himself. <laughs> or he would be distracted by Robin's legs. <laughs> and at that point, the, whoever I know is having the Legion of Doom would just open some kind of portal with this random ray gun and just walk out and say, you know what, I'm done, Batman. I'm just... So, there's a little bit of banter between the two of them about, you know, whether or not a trade can be made for Buttercup in, you know, without further need for violence and whatnot. And Vicini, who is motivated by the the money that they are going to make from this kidnapping that he and Andre the Giant and Inigo Montoya have have committed that they uh, that there can't be any kind of arrangement, and so Man in Black says, "Okay, then if there can't be an arrangement, it seems that we're at an impasse. 
and Bassini says, and this is this is one of my my favorite parts. Is I fear that we are because I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. And the man in black says, "You're that smart." And he says, "Let me put it this way: You ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? <laughs> Morons." <laughs> and I always love that. I always love that because. I always, I was, when I was getting ready for us to have this conversation tonight, I went back and watched the scene again, just, just to kind of refresh some things in my mind. And I kept wondering if, you know, given the nature of the film, and obviously it's a comedy, and, and, or would we, you know, let's, let's, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe we should talk about that. Is this a comedy? Yeah, definitely comedy. I mean, just but is it straight up comedy or does it have its own kind of sub genre here? It's it's like a um, it's one of those films that that doesn't appeal to everybody. That that uh, people like to think of themselves having higher higher intellectually get the humor in this movie. So does that mean that because we like this movie, we think of ourselves? Those are clearly very smart people. Okay, so Socrates, Aristotle, uh, Plato, we would think of them as morons as well? <laughs> I just, it's, and it's a weird movie, too. So is it a kid's movie? Is it an adult movie? But think about it. When, you quote, when, you, when people quote this movie, they're usually mm-hmm. quoting it for funny reasons, right? Right. And that's why I would say it's comedy. Okay. Okay. Which goes back again... To my earlier question, is it a comedy with a higher purpose? Is it because you, you answered you you said a few minutes ago that you think it's purely for the entertainment value? Right, it's an entertainment value uh, aimed at a specific group. Aimed at a specific group. Yes. Which group? The Super Friends. So <laughs> you're telling me. Banded together from the far regions of the galaxy. You're telling me that this movie was directed at the Super Friends? Yes. Specifically at Apache Chief. And his one true love was Gigantic, and he couldn't have her because she was kidnapped by the Legion of Doom. Wow. It's a whole other perspective you didn't expect. I, I mean, do, do we just end the podcast now? Uh, everything's been solved that we, we could potentially discuss in this? This is where the Legion of Doom just spins really fast and then disappears. And, uh... I feel like you just kind of pulled a uh, an LWO move on me here. <laughs> I just spray painted on the podcast. Yes. You, just, you came in, I got hit in the head with a dinner roll and that was the end. <laughs> so so he calls them morons. These, these obviously very intelligent people. So I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, okay, in the movie, I almost was surprised that they kept the historical references to smart people 
true to the time frame that a movie like this would be set. Does that make sense? Yes. Because I almost wanted him to say Einstein <laughs> in this movie. I don't, I don't know that moron was a commonly used term during the Middle Ages. Exactly. Which makes it even more uh, hilarious that that's what, what is he that said. called? This, is it when something is used out of time? Anachronism? It's anachronistic. Yeah, anachronism. So that's why I almost expected him to say something like, you know, uh, Einstein, or, or or what would have been really funny is if he had said, of course, what, do, do we know what year this movie was? I would guess from 87. I should have looked that up. So, of course, Stu is, once again, he's not with us all. Well, I feel like we're paying him too much. Why, why do we consistently make his night off the night that we record? It's probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, we ought to reconsider that. I think that's an easy fix. And I thought, and Stu just walked into the room, and I just walked out. See? <laughs> so, I, I feel like that it would have been appropriate for him to say, have you ever heard of Doc Brown? You talking about the soda? Do what? You talking about the, wait, Doc Brown, the soda? No, Doc Brown, the uh, from Back to the Future. Oh, well, oh, okay. Sorry, one point twenty-one gigawatts. Yes, yeah that that would have been that would have been even more <laughs> hilarious and appropriate for him to say something like that. But again, who are we trying to target here besides Apache Chief? And Giganta. Yes, and they're they're the, the really what we all know to be the uh, the one relationship that demonstrated true love throughout the ages. <laughs> and with the ability of the Legion of Doom to try and travel truly, that is a, a accurate statement. An accurate statement. Exactly. So, had Marty McFly been transported back to the time of the Princess Bride, there's no telling what could have happened. You know, what could, what could Fezzik have done with a DeLorean? I like this. Um, you know, there's the scene later on in the movie where um, the man in black says to, uh, when he's when he's paralyzed, says to Inigo Montoya and Fezzik that, what are, what are our assets? And he says, uh, your, your brains, my strength, his steel. And then he says, oh, what I, what I, what I would give for a Holocaust cloak. And a cart. <laughs> he said, why, did, why didn't you list that among our assets? <laughs> and I think to myself, what, what could they have done with a DeLorean? A time-traveling DeLorean? They, they would have gone, is it Fezzik? Yeah. He would have just gone so far into the future we never would have seen him again. Because he would have gotten greedy. I see. So you think Andre the Giant's the one that would have, would have succumbed to greed? No, sorry. Uh, the uh, I was confused. The, the bald guy, the Sicilian, he would have he would have been the one to go way too far in the future. No, oh, I got you. Okay, yeah, I can I can see that. So the, the giant Andre couldn't even fit into that DeLorean. So 
That'd be a deal killer right there. That's true. That's true. But he barely fit into that cart that they ended up putting him in anyway. True. So, all right. So the scene, let's get back to the scene here. Uh, there's the whole thing with the, okay, we're going to have the battle of wits. You know, it's going to be to the death and there's going to be a couple of goblets of wine and the man in black's going to put in uh, what's called Iocane powder, an odorless, tasteless poison that dissolves instantly in liquids. And so he puts it in there and. I like how he just turns slightly to the side and back and puts it in. Yes. And has the, the, uh, has, has the Sicilian close his eyes and there's some, you know, there's some chicanery with the moving of cups and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, then he says, okay, you know, what are you going to drink? Where's the poison? Battle of wits has begun. And then that's where this thing really takes off. So I sit there and think, is this guy, what, do, do you know the actor's name, Vizine? He's been in other things. He was in Clueless. Uh, he was Cher's like, English teacher or something. Okay. Um, but that's the that's the role that I most most think of when I think of him. Okay. I just you know, can you picture anybody else playing this role? No, it's perfect. His yeah. his hairline, his voice, all of it. Right, right. Uh, particularly the the cackling laugh when when he uh, feels as though he's triumphed, and mm-hmm. I always just thought that. This is one of the best cast uh, roles that I've that I've ever seen it, it, for such a bit part, you know, because he throughout the short time that he is in the film, every scene that he is in is is memorable. I think of all the times that he says when when they first kidnap the princess and they're on the boat and Andre the Giant says, hey, did anybody know that we were doing this? And he says, no. And he says, well, there's a boat that's following us. And they start trying to speed up and get away and and then, you know, they finally get to those, the cliffs that they climb up on the rope and uh, the man in black has to follow up on the rope and then they cut the rope and so he's clinging to the side of the cliff and all these times that he says inconceivable <laughs> and it just every time inconceivable it works it works every time and and so i then in, when you get to the battle of wits they've set him up to where when he starts going off on this monologue you just you almost wish that it would continue on and on and on because the things that he's saying are so absurd and ridiculous that it it becomes hilarious. And when he's trying when he's trying to pattern out this logic of why his uh, why the poison was closer to him, or it was farther away from the man in black, or it was you know it clearly I can't choose the cup in front of me. Right, because it's within my reach. And I just, 
I, I just I absolutely love the way that that flows. You know, there that there is, it's very clear that he wants to be intimidating by his smarts, but is there something deeper at work here? Is it really that he questions his own abilities and that he is a, uh, because he clearly mistreats both Anigo Montoya and Andre the Giant. He clearly has uh, some, uh, some issues with being in charge. Is there more, is there, is there more at stake about this character? Is there more, is there more to glean from this character than just that he's kind of funny? What would you so, say so really his character is the equivalent of a, a wrestling manager like Bobby the Brain Heenan. Let's go a little bit further into that. Would you, could we also say that he's a Jim Cornette? Yes. But then who would Mama be? Who would who be? Who would Mama be? Because Jim Cornette always referenced Mama. That's true. Uh, uh, it's like the Brain where he, he clearly feels fears that he's 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 far superior to the talent that he's managing. In this case, ironically, he didn't did actually manage Andre the Giant in the ring, but he just feels he's had that you know Bobby Bobby he was Bobby the Brain Heenan, right? And so this is just like the Sicilian feeling that same way that he's. He's got that leg up. He knows just enough that the other people know that he should always win, but just doesn't know enough so that he always gets defeated. So, so where do you, where do you think that comes from in both the Sicilian and Bobby the Brain Heenan? What is it that they're really thinking about themselves? They're outsmarting themselves because both both Heenan and and the Sicilian have the superior resources. You know, there's no way that you know if you put it was, it was Big John Stud, wasn't he tag team partners with Andre the Giant at one point? He was tag team partners with King Kong Bundy. Or was it John Patera? Anyway, whoever it was, they should never have been beaten. Andre the Giant should never have been beaten in wrestling, right? Agreed. So just like just like these three never should have been defeated by Wesley. Mm-hmm. Who was really, I don't know if we would compare him to Hulk Hogan here. I think I'd compare him to not definitely not Goldberg, maybe like a Sting type character. Uh-huh. Wearing the mask, like Crow Sting. Or could we compare him? Could we compare him to uh, Spider Man? How so, Spider Man? Well, he's he's someone who has experienced a great deal of loss uh, in his young life. That could be Batman too, and Superman. Yeah, but Superman's an alien. You got to remember that. You know, there, there, there's, 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 there's part of his alien DNA that we don't understand. His, <laughs> his, 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 his psyche is different. Batman, yeah, okay, we could do Batman, um, and Batman, yeah, because the Man in Black does seem to have more of a. Uh, mistrust in his fellow man, much like Batman does, whereas Spider-Man's pretty optimistic. Yeah. So, now, how, 
Jordan didn't go through many, you know, challenges. He was, you know, contemporary, like Air Force pirate, pilot. He falls, you know, ass backwards into a power ring. Green Lantern's living a good life. True. True. So no, that, has not, that has no impact on this whatsoever. Right, right. We were looking for people that were comparable, not people that were the opposite. I, think I, I would go with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Okay. So Bobby the Brain Heenan. But here's the thing. At the root of Bobby the Brain Heenan, are we not dealing with some insecurity? Yes. Mm-hmm. Only someone who's insecure would surely tell you that that how much that they, they know to feel really? the need to do that. And so the man in black demonstrated no uh, outward appearance, at least, of insecurity. Nope. At least up to this point. Actually, knows exactly who he is and exactly what he wants. Yes. But... There is a certain point where he also demonstrates some insecurity in that he is unsure whether Buttercup's feelings towards him were legitimate, given her willingness to marry Prince Humperdinck. But we don't know that up to this point. So right. that, that at this point is irrelevant. So, so part of the... Can, can we use the word braggadocio? Is that is that allowable on a podcast? I don't, I don't know. I've never heard that word before. Well, it's sort of a, uh, a kind of arrogance, uh, but, but, but very loudmouthed arrogance that's being demonstrated by the Sicilian in this instance, showing that he is going to... Uh, one, of, one of, I think, the most... The most revealing lines in this is that that he says, uh, you're stalling now. The man in black says that to Vicini. And he says, you'd like to think that, wouldn't you? (laughs) And so... It's it's the question that I always had was, did the man in black take any of them seriously as a threat? At any point, did he feel like this is something that might not go well for me? Did he ever think that Anigo Montoya would be the better swordsman? Did he ever think that Andre the Giant could crush him? Did he ever think that Vizzini was going to outsmart him? You can already know since we we find out at the end of the scene that he spent years building up a tolerance to this poison just for this moment. Does he say just for this moment? Well, I don't know. You have to check that. Do you have the? Also, is the, is the Sicilians clearly? He's talking to. He's talking to convince himself. That he's he's not going to lose. He's, I don't think he's talking to psych out the man in black. I think he's talking for the benefit of himself. So he's trying to build up his own confidence. 
Right, because the more he talks, the faster he talks, the more nervous he appears. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because that, that laugh at the end is, 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 uh, is maniacal and nervous at the same time. So let's go through. I'll buy that. I'll buy all of that. Uh, and I think that I think that almost that if, if, if this movie had been and probably has been remade, but in high definition, that there might be sweat breaking out across his brow. Right. Uh, right. As, as you know, uh, I, I think of a scene um, in. Uh, is it Winter Soldier? Yeah. In Captain America, Winter Soldier, where he's on the elevator with the shield agents. And he's mm-hmm. looking around and he's kind of he's kind of figured out that they're they've been tasked with taking him out. And he looks over and one of them one of them has a bead of sweat rolling down his mm-hmm. down the side of his cheek. And uh, I think that, you know, that would have been that would have been the case with Vizzini here. If we had if we had, had this movie in high definition. Is, is that there would have been some uh, some visible signs of of concern on his own part. Yeah, another way of looking at this is like this is you compare the man in black to a hot groomer from Die Hard, and and the Sicilian is is uh is Ellis, the the cocky guy coming in with the beard saying, "Hey, Hans, I can give you what you want. I can give you John McClane." That is that is an excellent comparison. That is no, absolutely perfect. So I now, try. what you just did, I'm sitting here thinking, could Ellis play this role? Yeah, he could have. I can see that, definitely. Or can you picture this? Can you picture that on the Sicilian side is Solomon Grundy, and on the Man in Black side is The Flash? <laughs> and The Flash is just sitting there moving these cups so fast Anytime that Solomon Grundy tries to get out a coherent thought, because we know Solomon Grundy has trouble doing that, uh-huh. and just getting this, just incredibly frustrating through this whole thing, where he finally just reaches over and he jackknife power bombs Flash, and that's just it. The poison's completely irrelevant in the scene. I don't even know how you made this connection. Solomon, Solomon Grundy not going to drink poison. Solomon Grundy knows Pink Poison going to be in cup within Solomon Grundy's reach. Solomon Grundy not, e- not even thirsty. <laughs> Solomon Grundy won't want drink. They don't want refreshment. Solomon Grundy wants something salty and savory. Meanwhile, the Flash is just like messing around with these cups, moving them as fast as he can. <sighs> That's why he just grabs him and ends up with a power bomb. <laughs> I, you know, I like how. You just crossed three streams there. <laughs> and we've got we've got the the cult classic Princess Bride with one of its most iconic scenes now has a battle from the challenge of the Super Friends, which is finished with the uh, which culminates with the finishing move of Kevin Nash. You're that's, out, that's outstanding. <laughs> we'd like we'd like to thank our good friends at Lilford's for sponsoring this absurd moment in the podcast. Yes, yes, this is an absurd moment brought to you by Lilford's. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so inconceivable. So, but okay, the, the, the 
so Man in Black makes the switch. The, the, the poisons are there, you know, okay, which cup is it in? He puts them down, and Mazzini starts out. His opening line is, but it's so simple. Are you the kind of guy that would put this in front of yourself or in front of your enemy? And then he starts to rationalize this whole thing. First, he starts out with, well, would you put it in your own? Because only a, only a fool would pick the one that was put in front of him. So he can't pick the one in front of the man in black because he knew he wasn't a fool. But knowing that he knew that he wasn't a fool, he can't pick the one in front of himself because then it would be too obvious. And just picture Solomon Grundy trying to get all this out. <laughs> yes. I well, mean, like, Solomon Grundy probably had a low IQ as it was, but like as, a, as an undead zombie, also he's really struggling to to find the brain power to express this. <laughs> and you know, the, the 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 other part of that is is the Flash even carrying on a part of the conversation? Or is no, he's, just, he's, he's just kind of sitting over there snickering. He's got, kind of got his hand over his mouth and he's just snickering and then just kind of reaches over and just moves cups around as fast as he can. <laughs> just to mess with him because he knows he can. Right. <laughs> and little does he know that all of his actions here are basically just coming to the inevitable head where Solomon Grundy just quickly grabs him and power bombs him through the picnic. Through that rock. The rock is completely destroyed. <laughs> and so I would suggest that most people don't know that that's ultimately how the Flash met his end. Oh, even better. Solomon Grundy just walks away. And then there's this awkward moment where the Prince of Buttercup's just sitting there going, hello? Hello? Because he completely forgets what his mission is. Until he gets back to the Legion of Doom. And, and you know who's there hiding behind a tree? Way to move in. Hal Jordan. Green Lantern. <laughs> so at any time, could have saved his good friend Flash in this ring. But oh no, that's not what Hal Jordan wanted. Scott Jordan's a player. Green Lantern's a total player. I don't know. Have you ever seen the Lego movie? <laughs> That's right. They make fun of Green Lantern, don't they? Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. It's... <laughs> hey, Superman! You're here, too? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so after after the initial, the initial bout, then he goes to the whole... Uh, the origins of Iocane powder and it coming from Australia, which we're in fictitious lands. Uh, I believe one of them is the land of Gilder and the other one is the land of Florin, if I, if I remember correctly. And these two nations are about to go to war with each other over the kidnapping of the, the, the fake kidnapping of Princess Buttercup. But yet Australia still exists. Would have been so easy to get to back then too, without question. Without question. So, so Mazzini not only uh, uh, uses yet another anachronism uh, with his reference to Australia, um, 
he even gives some uh, somewhat accurate history in it, Australia's history as a, as a penal colony. <laughs> and that criminals are used to not having people trust them, as you are not, <laughs> as the man in black isn't trusted by Vizzini. And he says, so I clearly can't choose the right wine in front of you. At which point, the man in black responds, truly, you have a, diz a dizzying intellect. He's <laughs> like a little puppeteer. And he says, wait till I get going. Where was I? He says, Australia. <laughs> yes, Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it just continues to go back and forth and back and forth until we reach the point where they they do pick up the goblet and they take their drink. But before they do that, Vizzini points <laughs> off into the distance. <laughs> hey, what's that over there? And of course, the man in black door. I love that. And, you know, there's nothing there. And then he starts laughing and they take the drink, which I guess at that point is, is a clear indication that the man in black is never worried. Right. Um, and, I, you know, we, we find out why moments later. But then, you know, he takes the they take the drink and then Vizzini's watching and says and the man in black says, you guessed wrong. And he says, you only think I guessed wrong. And that's what's so funny. I switched glasses when your back was turned. And then I think one of my most favorite random lines in the movie it, it may be one of my favorites of all time, but he says, you fell victim to one of the classic blunders. Yeah. The most famous is never get involved in a land, land war in Asia, but only slightly less well, only, only slightly less well known as this. Never go in against the Sicilian when death is on the line. And then he starts that lengthy cackle and falls over dead. Okay, so now, now here's a question. So would it have been more, more effective there? If his in his cackle, he just stops and then freezes, never falls over. He just stops, like the end of an episode of Chips. Remember Chips from the seventies and eighties? And at the end, there was always like a joke being told. They'd all laugh and it would just freeze. Yes. Well, could they have done something like that? Well, the thing about the ending of Chips and scenes other shows that have also taken on that kind of uh, a finale is that nobody moves after that point. So unless they're going to go to credits moments after, I don't, I don't think that works there. Now because I, anticip I anticipated you would say that. So let me throw this at you. How about like the grandparents were frozen in weird science in the closet? Well, clearly you have a dizzying intellect. Clearly I do when I can mention this many films in the eighties on one podcast. I would say that 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 could could work, but my question would be to what end? Is that to secure more randomness? To, to what end? To extend the length of this podcast? Because our sponsors are paying for 60 minutes. That's the... Well, our sponsors need to remember that we still have our Mike Schmidt trivia question coming up. That is true. So, you know, there, there's, there's, there's nothing that they need to be concerned about. I feel like uh, that the, the end of this scene 
um, really sums up for me uh, almost the collective sense of humor of our generation. That we are, we are a generation, those of us that were born uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, um, and maybe even on into the mid to late 70s, uh, we appreciate the random. We appreciate yes. the things that, that absolutely just don't seem to fit where they're been placed. Almost, I want to say anachronism, but anachronism usually just deals with things being out of time. I think with us in our generation that we don't just limit it to being things out of time, out of the right time. They can be out of the right place. They can be out of the right order. They can be out of just, you know, uh, listening to uh, when, <laughs> when we did uh, our, our DDP podcast, our, our most recent one before this one, uh, when I said something to the effect of when I say, uh, I can't remember what I said, but your your response was, "I'm going to say Tito Santana," <laughs> and it it didn't fit at all. But the 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 humor of that was greatly appreciated. Most like the Scooby, you know, Scooby Doo would be Shaggy being chased by these villains, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, they've got the villains sitting in like these, you know, like salon chairs, and they're like cutting their hair. Yeah, scissors and all these supplies and hair dryers. Or, or, or I always, I always like the Scooby Doo episodes that had like guest stars. Oh yeah, the Scooby Doo movies. Um, and one of, them, one of them was Jerry Reed. I don't know if yeah, you saw yeah. that episode. Yeah, I remember that one. At the time, yeah. I had no idea who that was. He was smoking the bandit, right? Yes. And so, you know, there's, there's this Eastbound thing. down, loaded up and trucking. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's this, uh, there, there's this part in it where they're just running around the place and he's just playing his guitar and singing this song, uh, Pretty Mary Sunlight. <laughs> and I just thought, even as a kid, I mean, even as a kid, and, and seeing that, I mean, I, I was probably you know, maybe 10 nine or 10 watching this episode thinking, well, this is kind of random. <laughs> this, this doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with much of anything that's going on in either Scooby-Doo or the real world at this point in time. But that was, that was the sort of thing that, that we always, uh, that I feel like I've always appreciated. Uh, and I, I think that one of the reasons that, the nexus of pop culture and Cherry Road works so well is because there is an, an appreciation on the part of all parties involved, you know, you, me, and Stu, for for the randomness uh, that, that that happens in life. And and so this scene in The Princess Bride absolutely sums up for me uh, what I would say are the things that make me laugh the most. I mean, think about the naked gun or airplane movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that humor is all completely random. Yes. I mean, it's so it's so outstanding. Is it is it the second naked gun movie where that opens up with him on his quote unquote vacation in Beirut? 
where he he takes on the terrorists. Yeah, well, he takes on all those world leader terrorists. Yeah, that's, like the, first, that's the first. That's the first thing Yeah, is that that's the first movie? Yeah. Okay, so I mean that to me was just outstanding, and then you know he's fighting. I think it's uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah, the and he has the red, bright red mohawk. And I just think, you know, that is, that's so well placed. When he wipes off Gorbachev's spot on top of his head, I knew it. So these are the things that just really have always appealed to me. Um, way more than a humor that, that is refined and targeted. Uh I would just prefer to have something that just pops out of nowhere. And almost this entire conversation between the man in black and Vassini seems to pop out of nowhere. The things that he mentions, you know, the Socrates, Aristotle, Plato being morons, the origin of the Iocane powder being Australia, the land war in Asia, uh, all of those things just just they they work so well because it's like how did you even work that in there so that's that's one of the reasons why i could i could sit and watch this movie you know uh frequently and and not a lot of those movies love like fletch too fletch is a series of funny moments of chevy chase random moments inserted into a greater story those moments may or may not have anything to do with moving that plot along whatsoever. Well, I think about I think about the whole scene in the Three Amigos with the singing bush and the Invisible Swordsman. <laughs> you killed the Invisible Swordsman. That, uh, I give I give a a sweater. <laughs> that, that, yeah. Oh, and the sweater. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sweater. Are, I love it. Those are two just scenes that absolutely do nothing to further the plot along. I mean, I think of the Invisible Swordsman because that, that's how they're supposed to find their way to El Guapo's secret hideout. But they kill him. <laughs> and yet they still find their way to El Guapo's hideout. Like, in within the next scene. <laughs> so there's a lot of that that I'm just like, this is uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, that somebody has the imagination and the the wryness um, to to put that together, and and that's what I appreciate so much about about this movie and about this scene in particular is that it's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So anyway, but that brings us, I believe. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the clock, and I know that there's a. You know, we only have so much time allotted to us by our sponsors, so I think it's to, I think it's time. And and at, at, when we get a, a better production assistant than Stu, you know, I feel like when we reach this point of the show, there should be some sort of sound effect or background music that that pops on to to go with our Mike Schmidt trivia question. But it's it we've reached that time. I think it's got to be something by Jerry Reed, maybe East Down Down. We all doing things. What's it? We gonna do things can't be done. We gotta uh, it's eastbound and down, loaded up and loaded up and trucking. We gonna do what they say can't be done. Can't be done. 
we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound. Just watch old bandit run. Ooh, I love it. So we'll try to get Stu to work on that for the next episode. But for tonight, our, our Mike Schmidt trivia question is, what is his birthday? And how old will he be when he has his next one? And you, you're not you're not permitted to ask for help from our good friends at the internet. I'm not doing that. I'm gonna say he's probably about seventy-one. Ladies and gentlemen, he continues to amaze and astound. Yes, he is ag- absolutely seventy-one years old. But do you know his birthday? I feel like I should. I feel like it's in May, but I don't know for sure. Uh, he's not. He's not on top of his game tonight, folks. Uh-oh. December. Uh, he only got he, just like our efforts in this podcast, he only got fifty percent right. I think guessing seventy-one is pretty good because I, was, I figured that if he was thirty years old around nineteen eighty, I'd have you know forty-one years to that. I got seventy-one. So his birthday is September 27th. So it's coming up. His 72nd birthday will be coming up a week from tomorrow. Yeah, I had no idea when his birthday was. I know he's from Ohio. I know his name is Jack. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if we'll get a call from him over the course of the next week asking us to come and do a live podcast during his birthday celebration. What, what did he controversially... Which team did he controversially say he was now a fan of since he retired there? I, I wasn't prepared for this to be turned back on me. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, going to say, I'm going to say the Miami Marlins. That's right. Is it really? Yep. There's a Florida Marlins in time that he made that comment. In the early 90s, and that made a lot of Phillies fans mad at him. At least since he, he's always doing some kind of – I think he's well, perpetually employed by the Phillies as some kind of special instructor during well, spring training or consultant of some kind. I assumed that it was probably a team in the same division, and I didn't think that he had become a, uh, a Met uh, I, I didn't think he would have retired and gone to New York, and I felt like I would have known if he was in Atlanta, uh, because you know, if for no other reason, because you talk about Georgia a lot. Which, but, which famous teammate of his? I mean, know that Pete Rose has both both won a World Series for the Phillies and the Reds. Went to two two World Series with the Phillies, won one. Went to I think three with the Reds, but I think three at least with the Reds. So, but what what teammate, a uh, famous teammate of Mike Schmidt, is equally uh, as beloved by the New York Mets fans as he is by the Philadelphia Phillies fans? Ooh, a lot of silence there. Some heavy thinking going on. Is it a pitcher? Yes. Is it Tom Seaver? No, Tom Seaver never played for the Phillies. Is a pitcher. Tom Seaver did play for the Reds at one point. 
I don't know who. Tony McGraw. Ah, Tim's dad. Yep. Remember the 69 Nets and the 80 Phillies. Okay. I don't know that I remember that he played for the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. He's, most people think of him as a Philly. I mean, that's great. You know who else is on the 69 Mets? I always forget. Nolan Ryan. I forget that, too. It's the only well, World Series team he was on. I, I believe that, you know, part of that is that you and I weren't born then. But <laughs> <laughs> so that might have something to do with why we forget that fact. So, uh, it's, uh, well, so that concludes our, our Mike Schmidt slash uh, baseball trivia event for, for this, this podcast. And uh, we hope that You've enjoyed the show. We, as always, we'd like to thank uh, our good friends at Milford's. Uh, we'd like to uh, thank the good folks at the internet and at Bluetooth. Yeah, Bluetooth, especially Bluetooth. Uh, we, would, we would like to thank the manufacturers of generic pizza boxes. And also the hockey talk, man. Wherever he may be. Shake, rattle, and roll. All right. Well, I think this is going to conclude our, our broadcast for this evening. Uh, tune in next time when you'll hear Steve say, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. And we'll be prepared to bring you something amazing and extraordinary next time, folks. That means we have no idea what we're going to talk about next time, but we'll be ready. That's exactly right. All right. Signing off yeah. now. All right. Good night. Good night. Sound of an Asian land war. <laughs> yes. <laughs>